five, four, three, two, one. Boucher. My guest this week is Larry Reeves, the founder of the Canadian Satellite Design Challenge. At the recent Canadian Space Society Space Summit, I ran into Larry and asked him if he would like to be a guest on the show to talk about this program and provide an update on the current competition. The CSDC is a Canada-wide competition for teams of university students, undergraduate and graduate, to design and build a small satellite. To be clear, this is a competition where the students create their own team at their respective university. It is not a university-led program. They do get some guidance from professors at their institutions. Students must also raise funds to build their satellites. The CSDC is in its fourth competition, having completed three previous competitions since its inception in 2011. Larry and a core group of volunteers manage the CSDC in their spare time with some support from industry and the Canadian Space Agency. Larry's day job is that of an engineer at the Earth Observation Company, EarthCast. Welcome, Larry, to the SpaceQ podcast. Thanks, Mark. Pleasure to be here. All right, before we talk about the current and fourth iteration of the challenge, tell me what motivated you to start the Canadian Satellite Design Challenge in 2011. Um, it's, it's a... Fairly long story. Um, it really starts off with um, a group of friends. Uh, we'd have lunch together all the time uh, when we worked at MDA and just chat about various um, ideas, current events and such. And you know, at the time, we were all big fans of American Chopper. And we kind of thought, well, wouldn't it be funny to have um, a bunch of guys like us um, in our garage working on building a small satellite, um, you know, as a weekly TV series or so and follow the progression of the satellite being built? I mean, kind of a silly idea, but um, that really morphed into, well, we thought instead of us doing it, I thought, well, why not have a competition of people doing this? And... Um, people building satellites in their backyards or garages or kitchens, wherever. And um, it, it just kind of morphed into a, hmm, no, that's a silly idea, that's a silly idea. But, well, universities with uh, CubeSats being quite common um, internationally at universities, it just naturally progressed towards, hmm, how about universities building CubeSats and turn that into a competition? And, um, you know, it, it, it started off uh, in slightly different form. There were bigger satellites, and um, we, we gradually morphed it down to the CubeSat standard. And um, the competition itself was modeled after some of the existing engineering competitions um, at universities in North America, like the SAE competition to build solar-powered cars and Formula One racers. And, um, you know, taking elements of the SAE competition um, and trying to make it a bit of a, a real-world project, um, adding in project management and schedules, um, it, it just gradually morphed into the format that, um, that we've been using pretty much since the beginnings. 
And how many teams did you uh, get for your initial challenge in 2011? Um, we had, if I recall correctly, it was 11 teams that, uh, that joined. Um, now, prior to starting the CSDC, we had a, a kickoff workshop held at Magellan in Winnipeg where we had a few. That's Magellan Aerospace, right? Magellan Aerospace, yes. Um, we had a few professors from universities. We had a couple of industry reps from, uh, of course, from Magellan and um, Duncan Phillips, who's been instrumental in this uh, from MITAX, the, the federal uh, research funding agency or company. And um, I think we had one or two students there as well. And we presented the idea for the CSDC and tried to get some feedback from everyone and got some very good comments on what would work, what wouldn't. Um, the professors were very, uh, very adamant that they didn't want to have a lot of time needed for them to manage the teams. So it became a very much student-driven competition or that the teams were student driven and the professors were there really to act as a, a faculty or department liaison for official requests of resources of office space and such. Um, and uh, yeah, so given with all those comments, um, that's how we we started off in 2011 with the first competition. Now, to, to clarify, so you're talking about 11 teams in the first competition, and these 11 teams are actually from 11 different universities. So that actually was a, a pretty good representation uh, uh, to start with uh, from across Canada. It was. Um, and I mean, some of it was just calling up if I knew of a professor at a university, I would call them up and... Um, brief them on the idea and find out if they might be interested in putting together a team. I also did have the opportunity to travel to several universities um, to make a presentation. Again, if I had a contact at that university or if, if my tax had a contact at the university, um, I went and gave a, a overview presentation of the idea for the CSDC. So given all of that, um, yeah, we were able to uh, attract 11 universities to put together teams and join. Uh, that's quite impressive, uh, especially when you think that these are student-led teams. Um, what about the, the funding in that, uh, that initial year? How did you manage to, to scrape up enough funding to, to make this happen? Um. Well, I have to thank Wayne Ellis uh, in Winnipeg for um, preaching or pushing the idea there and getting a bit of funding to start that. And also as the rep for analytical graphics here in Canada, he also got some funding from AGI and it was just barely enough to um, you know, to, to travel to Winnipeg for the kickoff conference and do a little bit of, uh, of publicity. Um, and then here locally, uh, the wonderful contribution we got from MDA, um, since I had previously worked at MDA, I was no longer with MDA at this point, um, but I went and I um, presented the idea to Wendy Kaiser and to Wade Larson, who was still at MDA at that point, and they both really embraced the idea of this and liked it and uh, gave us a very generous donation that really kicked off the um the competition in a in a serious way so 
The CDSC, or the CSDC, I should say, is hit it heading into its seventh year, and the fourth challenge is underway. What have been a what have been a, a couple of your greatest challenges in managing the program over that time? Hmm. Um, well, I think part of the biggest problem is when I started, I was working on my own at home and uh, doing contract work. So I had a bit more time than now when I'm uh, working full time at Earthcast. So now the biggest challenge for me is is finding the time sometimes in order to be able to to do all of the administration and, and contacting the teams that's necessary. Um, you know, it, it comes and goes in clumps. We have the initial kickoff and, and uh, teams registering and um, having briefings with each of the teams on what the competition is about. And then there will be a period where there's very little activity. And then when we start to organize a workshop, again, it's a very intense amount of activity in a short period of time. So it's uh, it's a real challenge when we come up to an event like that to find all of the time that's necessary to do all of the organizing, um, to, in many cases, book hotel rooms for all the teams to stay at when we have a workshop somewhere, and then to... Um, you know, just to do the the paperwork afterwards, um, filling out expense forms or or the the checks for all the teams for their travel stipends, um, that I think has been the biggest challenge so far. Now, in terms of uh, the teams over the years and uh, building these small cubesats, um, uh, obviously they're not all the same. Uh, different teams come up with different ideas for payloads for uh, for these satellites. Have you been surprised and uh, uh, by some of the payloads that have been uh, suggested? And and uh, has there been innovation in that area that you think these teams have uh, have sort of uh, brought to uh, to the challenge? Um, yeah. Um... Yeah, but that's another thing that has changed over time. Initially, um, the idea was to have each team just doing a, a simple Earth imaging payload on, on the CubeSats. And um, someone suggested, well, why? Why can't they do their own thing? I said, well, good idea. So we, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we gave the teams the option of their own payload, whatever they wanted to come up with, because... Um, Different universities have different areas of space research that they do, so it would be playing to the strengths of each university. And, of course, the idea of this was to have a useful payload, something that contributes to active research at the university, um, you know, and, and contribute to either grad student theses or professors' research. Um, so, the yeah, the... Um, payload ideas that the teams have come up with have been incredibly varied um, from, yes, there have been some Earth observation payloads, um, sun observation payloads uh, or cameras, stellar observation. And then there's some, been some really innovative ones like, um, you know, started with the University of Manitoba and, and then University of Toronto have biological experiments on board and they want to test um the U of M had the idea of testing various um, bacteria or, or a, a creature called a tardigrade to 
expose it to space and then reintroduce a, an Earth abs- atmosphere um, days or weeks later and see if the tardigrades survive that. And, and what they're trying to test out is the idea that life on Earth may have come from other uh, other planets or other galaxies, you know, carried on a comet or on a, a piece of meteorite or something. Um, then um, Concordia is testing out uh, self-healing composite structures. So it's a, a composite structure that has parts of epoxy embedded in it. So when something happens and, and cracks the structure, it then cracks the epoxy balls that are inside and they meld together and harden and hopefully it will um, make the structure just or almost as rigid as it was before and and maintain the integrity of the structure. Um, And another one was from the University of Victoria uh, testing an interesting material that um, is uh, develops a magnetic field when you shine a laser on it. So their idea was that if you had this material and selectively were to shine a laser on it to affect its magnetic field, you could use that for attitude control. And, uh, you know, again, it's a new material, a new concept that had never been flown before. And so, um, yeah, quite an astounding array of of different experiments and in many cases, um, novel experiments that are are really interesting. It'd be great to see them fly. Now that brings up, uh, unfortunately, one of the, I suppose, disappointing parts of the the challenge over the years is that you've had three winners so far, uh, but none of them have been able to fly their their CubeSats because uh, you haven't had the you haven't raised uh, the funds necessary to do that. So now that you're into your fourth challenge, uh, is it possible that uh, in in this particular challenge, when uh, the winner is announced, that uh, you will be able to have the funds available to, to fly their payload? <laughs> um, I, I remain optimistic that we will someday be able to launch the winning satellite, or hopefully, if we can, launch any of the previous winners. Um, you're right, we haven't been able to raise the funding now, but we're always looking at um, different possibilities that there might be. Uh, in the first round, for example, um, after Concordia had won the competition, um, it just was good timing that the European Space Agency gave an announcement of opportunity for uh, flying CubeSats. They were going to select, uh, I believe it was six CubeSats to fly. And of course, with Canada as an associate member of ESA, Canadian universities were permitted to apply for this. And Concordia was in fact accepted to the program, but um, we originally, the first round of the CSTC, we had um, made the requirements based on a an expendable launch vehicle uh, launch for the CubeSats. And the ESA Flyer Satellite Program was going to be going and deployed from the space station. So the safety requirements on the CubeSat were more stringent, um, which would have required a very significant um, redesign and build of the the CubeSat that Concordia had. So unfortunately, although they were selected to the ESA program, um, when faced with the 
the new safety requirements and the rebuild that would be required and the schedule that was extremely tight and paperwork that was required, they just they weren't able to to keep up with the schedule that ESA required of them. Um, so that's I think the closest that we've gotten. But again, I, I still remain optimistic that either through funding or some other avenue like the ESA Flyer Satellite Program, um, we will eventually be able to get uh, one or more winning satellites up. Now, I know you've talked to Canadian government, including the Canadian Space Agency, on this. Mm-hmm. And I know that the Canadian Space Agency has supported uh, the Canadian Satellite Design Challenge. Uh, but... Uh, has the government not indicated that uh, they'd be interested in in providing funding for uh, the winner? Um, not a, a firm commitment uh, at all to date. No, um, there. Yes, there have been discussions, and um, of course, with the uh, Canadian CubeSat project, the CSA is doing. They're now um, going to be procuring a number of launches for Canadian CubeSats. Um, so. CSDC is, uh, I guess, not a as not a, an element of, of that and uh, not a priority for them to fund. Um, but uh, you know, other than that, the support from CSA has been wonderful. You know, they they certainly do um, appreciate the the development that the CSDC has done at universities across the country. And, uh, you know, it's, it's <laughs> hopefully one day uh, if uh, CSA is not able to fill the quota of CubeSats in the, uh, from the Cubes- CCP, Canadian CubeSat project, um, you know, I can always hope that there might be a slot or two left open that uh, we could happily fill for them. So uh, we'll get back to the, to the CubeSat project I- I- in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. But... Um, how many universities over the course of the seven years have participated in the program? And approximately how many students out, uh, over that seven years have been part of it? And also just tell me a little bit about how this is a multidisciplinary approach to the project, because it's not just engineers working on this. Right. Um, okay, well, let's see. We've had an average of somewhere around 10, 11 teams uh, each round of uh, the first four rounds. Now, you know, obviously there have been some that have been in from the beginning, um, but I think overall we've probably had close to 20 Canadian universities, maybe 17, 18. Um, But we've also had a couple of uh, foreign universities that partnered up with Canadian teams uh, in the CSDC, which have participated. And, um, you know, the average team size is probably at least 15 to 20 students um, uh, each round. So I don't have exact numbers, but it's uh, it's certainly many hundreds. Um, wouldn't surprise me if it was, uh, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 or so range that have participated over the years. Um, and, yeah, as you mentioned, the, the multidisciplinary aspect of it. Um, now I'm, uh, I've been to the International Space University and I've, I've certainly embraced the, uh, interdisciplinary element that, uh, ISU teaches. And that was something that we wanted to incorporate into the CSDC from the beginning as well. But you know, not that it's a, a complaint against 
um, other engineering competitions like the solar car, the the Formula SE car, that they're very one departmental kinds of competitions. Um, but as as you know, the the real world space projects are not comprised of just one department or, or one discipline. Um, there are many in engineering and in science and um, in accounting and in management, um, you know, and communications that are all necessary to um, have a very successful mission. So we tried to come up with elements that would require a, a multidisciplinary team. And, you know, when we added in educational outreach requirements, um, it certainly would make sense to get somebody from an educational department um, from your, your university to participate on the team as well. And, um, you know, again, that's, that's how most industry projects operate, are a very broad disciplinary team, and all of whom are important in uh, in various aspects um, of the of the program. Now, speaking of the educational uh, component mm-hmm. uh, and public outreach, I think it was part of the rules that the teams actually had to go out there and uh, give public talks uh, about their projects. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what the requirements are for that? Yeah, well, the requirements are actually relatively uh, minor or, or easy. Um, we just wanted each team to go out and give um, a minimum of five presentations each year. One would be to an elementary school, a secondary school, their university, general public, and a professional group. And, um, you know, that was a number of reasons for that. Um, one is, of course, engineers are often not considered to be the best presenters in the world, but it's it's certainly a necessary skill when you get into uh, into industry and, and working on projects to be able to effectively communicate not just to your own team members, but if you want to get public um, acceptance or buy-in to your project and interest in it, you need a very good presenter and, and a you know, good communicator to be able to present your ideas of what you're doing in a, a way that the audience can understand. Um, so that was part of it, was the development of the students to be able to go out and effectively present their CubeSat project or other aspects of space to a wide variety of audiences. And then the second um, reason for the educational outreach was to try to show elementary and secondary school students that there are really interesting opportunities available to them um, working in space in Canada. Um, A little bit of that comes from my um, recollections as a student um, on Vancouver Island and thinking, you know, it was so far away at that time from what was happening in the Canadian space field of Toronto and Spar Aerospace were the the center of Canadian space technology Um, and and just not thinking that I could ever work in space industry um, when I uh, you know when I graduated from university so this is really trying to show and and connect with the students that um, here's somebody who potentially just went to that 
uh, secondary school a few years ago or you know, years before that went to the elementary school where they're presenting and this is what they're studying and this is what they're working on and it's really trying to uh, inspire the younger students, uh, get them interested in it, and show them that there is a path for them to be able to work on something that's uh, incredibly interesting and exciting and fun. So what have been some of the best moments for you uh, and the managing team over the years? Um, for me personally, it, a lot of it has just been to see where some of the uh, former participants have have ended up and you know, some opportunities that they've been presented um, as a result of participating in the CSDC. Um, you know, many of them have been to the International Astronautical Congress and presented papers there and, and you know, started their networking. Um, we had one participant who spent three months in Vienna working with the Space Generation Advisory Council, um, you know, part of the, the UN uh, Committee on Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. Uh, you know, just, it, it's, for me, really rewarding to see them being able to pursue their passions in, in working in space. And, uh, you know, the, I think that tops it all for me is to see that. And, and when they just write me a quick note and saying, thank you, this was a great opportunity and I've been having a wonderful time at this conference. I met some great people and, you know, I, I'm uh, just, it's, it's <laughs> hard to explain more than that other than it's a really nice feeling to see them being able to, uh, to follow their passions. Now, sort of a related question, how do you think the CSDC has contributed to Canada's space sector? Um, well, certainly from EarthCast perspective, we've hired now uh, two full-time employees who had participated in the CSDC, and I think uh, three or four um, co-op students who are, who are participating uh, on teams. So certainly, uh, I think it's, in the industry side, it's having a nice pool of incredibly talented passionate new employees to to come aboard um, and you know I do have a few cases of other um, former participants I've heard from who have gone on to work at MDA and I think in, in all three um, uh, facilities of MDA in Canada and at Magellan Aerospace and you know that that um, the companies are hiring them because of that exact reason they're they're experience for one thing they've got a very good foundation in understanding space and satellite projects and they're incredibly passionate and and driven um to work on them would you say it's fair to say that uh the csdc is contributing to the space sector uh by creating or making students aware of opportunities that might be there or, or having them look at the industry and say, I might create my own opportunity and create a new company? Um, I, I like to think so. Um, you know, in, in creating a new opportunity, uh, uh, one of the co-founders of Kepler Communications was from the University of Toronto and, and participated on the CSDC team there. Um, you know, so it's... Uh, 
hopefully that again the the, um, the knowledge and understanding and um, seeing the opportunity and having the energy to pursue it and the passion to pursue it uh, you know I, I I hope that has contributed to the Canadian space community and, and industry um, and you know that that was a goal and objective of ours from the very beginning was to develop research and development capabilities in space at universities, but also have that able to um, those capabilities be able to feed into industry to help bring up the next generation of of, uh, amazing engineers and scientists at Canadian companies. So I want to talk about one university in particular, and, and, and the reason for that is is uh, because they seem to have had some quite quite the success. Uh, mm-hmm. Concordia University won the first challenge. They won mm-hmm. the third challenge. And they yes. came second in the second challenge. Mm-hmm. So, But that's over their span of, of seven years, which means that there were a, a – uh, you know, different students in, in, in each, there might've been some overlap, but there were some different students in each one. What differentiates mm-hmm. them from the other teams that they've had the kind of success they've had to date? Hmm. I wish I knew. I mean, it, <laughs> and I wish they could um, export it to the other universities as well. I think it's, it's a, just a really, um, you know, it's a, a small campus on Concordia. So they're all, close together um, and they just have an an excellent um, team spirit um, that you know brings them together it, it's a club and they like to meet they all are incredibly interested in space and um, you know it, it's funny because if you had asked me at the beginning of the CSDC I wouldn't have picked Concordia to have fared well in the competition because there was no existing space engineering or uh, aerospace option uh, in the curriculum at Concordia. And, um, you know, partly due to uh, their faculty advisor, um, Scott Gleason, who had previously worked at NASA and I believe SSTL. So, So he had guidance and the the interest that he could pass on to the students but they also had really good leadership very enthusiastic energetic leadership and very capable uh leadership and and students all throughout so they have just created a a really strong culture there of working on the cubesats of of working on space projects and they welcome in younger students and they they do a great job of passing down the knowledge they've learned from previous projects to the younger students. Yeah. And it seems like the, um, uh, community in Montreal, uh, student community in Montreal is really coming together, uh, and, and working together. They had the, the Montreal space symposium in early October, which I attended and, uh, I think they had 350, 400 people, or mostly students, uh, show up for, for that. So definitely yep. something going on in Montreal at Concordia, McGill, and uh, Polytechnique. Um, mm-hmm. Now, recently the Canadian Space Agency initiated the Canadian CubeSat project, mm-hmm. uh, and it seems and it's geared towards universities. Yep. Um, but there seems to be a little bit of overlap between what they're doing 
and what you're doing. So can you just elaborate on what the actual differences are between the two programs? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, yes, there is there is a lot of overlap. Um, and uh, yeah, by necessity, I think if you want a, a CubeSat development program, universities are the most logical uh, audience for that. Um, but with the uh, Canadian CubeSat project, it's an announcement of opportunity that is for the university professors to apply for. Um, so it is, it's more professor driven as a research project by the professor. Um, and the professor would then put together the students that he or she wants to have working on this, this program um, from a, you know, a faculty level research program. Um, but of course, the, the CSDC is very much student driven and it doesn't have to be exclusively undergraduate students, although it has turned out to be, well, I would guess, sort of in the 95 plus percent undergraduate students participating in this. Um, so I think the audience at each university is going to be quite different for each program. Um, you know that that I think is is the major difference between them as a as a faculty driven research program. I would you know, I, I would guess it's probably going to be more geared towards using graduate students on these projects, um, but it doesn't have to be. Um, you know, versus a a student run competition. Okay, so let's get to the current challenge. Tell me how things are shaping up and uh, where you're at. Okay. Well, we're just over the halfway point. Um, back at the end of September, we had um, design reviews. We call it the critical design review, uh, you know, at uh, the stage in a project when you pass the critical design review, then you start to go into the build phase of your CubeSat. So we had a critical design review for um, 11 of the teams um, that were felt they were ready to, to present such a, a detailed review. Um, it's a two and a half hour review from each team on their mission, on all of the subsystems. And, um, you know, we, we have a very experienced panel, um, uh, very pleased to get support from industry and, and from CSA to allow judges, uh, employees to come out as judges for the competition. So we have Martin Meerman, who's, um, been, involved in every one of our CSDCs. Um, he's now at Space Systems Laurel, but I, I first met him at uh, MDA in, in Richmond, and he previously had worked at SSTL. Um, Adam Latour is now with Kepler Communications, um, but I, I first met him when he was the lead mechanical engineer at Microsoft Systems Canada. Uh, and Eric Glotney is um, from the Canadian Space Agency. So those three were judges. Uh, we also, had one of the students from the very first Concordia team, uh, uh, Stefanos Dermanakis, who's now at EarthCast as a full-time employee. So it was very convenient to have him here in Vancouver where we held the CDRs. And uh, he's the very first alumnus from the program to participate as a judge. So uh, again, by last week in September, we had the design reviews. And also at the same time, we held a workshop at uh, Triumph. Triumph is the um, radiation test facility 
at the University of British Columbia for, for particle and um, nuclear research. And the teams would bring one of their electronic components and place it into a proton beam, which would simulate the radiation environment in space. So they got a chance to test out how well their component would do. Would it have bit flips? Would it lock up? Or would it be able to detect that and, and recover from it? Um, now, unfortunately, Triumph had a, an unforeseen um, uh, interruption in, in, the, uh, in the beam. So we had to have a few teams come back just a few weeks ago uh, to to finish off their testing, um, but it was a you know a very uh, valuable workshop and and experiment for the teams to do to simulate the environment in space, which it's hard to do when you're just in your lab putting together a cubesat with your electronic components. You don't know how they're going to behave uh, in radiation environment unless you actually do some kind of uh, radiation simulation and uh, yeah we were really fortunate to be able to use the the beam at pro uh, at uh, triumph in, in order to do that so what's the uh, remaining timeline for this challenge um we are planning to have our final testing, which is a, a launch vibration test uh, next May or June. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to be able to go into David Florida lab in Ottawa to uh, to use their shake table to uh, to test the, the CubeSats. And this and is a uh, this is a uh, in-kind contribution by the Canadian Space Agency. Yes, yes, it is. They've been fabulous uh, again right from the very beginning. They've been fabulous at uh, welcoming us into DFL to uh, to test the CubeSats. Um, and but you know, between now and then, the teams are really into their build and and test phase of their subsystems and uh, integrating it all together. It's it's a fairly long period of time from when we finish the CDR until we get to next testing, and we've thought about putting in another workshop somehow to, to get the teams together and, and or have some kind of um, milestone that they should meet just to keep them on track. But uh, um, we haven't found the, the, the right venue or the right uh, workshop idea to have yet. Uh, we just, you know, it, it's important. I, I've had a couple of teams say that it's a fairly long stretch between now and the final testing and there'd be some, it would be nice if there was something along the way to um, help keep them on track and and keep them progressing towards uh, the end. And when do you expect the competition to wrap up? Uh, we wrap up at the end of the week of the, the final testing. So um, if hopefully we can have some of the judges who were at CDR to come and observe the, the testing and after they do the vibration test, they have to uh, take the CubeSat out of the, the simulated launch container. Um, hopefully it comes out easily. And then they have to turn it on, show that it will that it survive the launch environment, um, that it will power up, that it will deploy its antenna, and that it's, you know, it's a, it's a various systems are working properly. And, you know, that's a one week long testing phase, but the uh, after we finish the testing, the judges all meet and um, put our opinions together and uh, we select the winner and we have a dinner that final night after testing where we uh, where we announce the winner. And this will be what 
mid next year? Yeah, around the end of May or or the beginning of June. I mean, you know, it's a, an in-kind contribution from CSA, but we do have to work around their current schedule. Um, they do get other projects in there, and we're certainly, uh, you know, at the the mercy of their schedule. Um, so we're flexible in, in when we can come in and do our testing. All right, last question. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, you're really working hard here in the fourth uh, iteration of the challenge. Will there be a fifth one? Absolutely. Uh, we're already starting to plan for the next CSDC. Uh, we have something a little bit different in mind for it. Uh, I won't give you too many hints, but uh, you know, it, it's um, it's a really exciting mission that we're we're uh, working on right now. So that would be one big difference: is that rather than each team going out and deciding their own payload and mission, we're actually coming up with a mission that we'd like each team to uh, to try to build. And um, yeah, we're uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited about it, and we'll uh, we'll keep working towards that. And I'm sure a lot of teams, as we get towards the end of each of the previous CSDCs, I've always had several questions from them. Are you having a next another CSDC? Is you know, when's it starting? When do I get to put my team's name in? So uh, certainly the interest from the universities is as strong as ever, and. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hopefully implementing the mission that we have in mind. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, Larry, for being on the Space Cube podcast. I'll definitely have to get you back on a future show so we find out how this current iteration uh, comes to fruition and uh, what you've got planned for uh, the next challenge. I'd be happy to do so. Thanks, Mark. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Q podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode. You can also find Space Q on Twitter at Canada in Space and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook at the Space Q. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn at Mark K. Boucher. And if we're connected, you'll get Space Q articles and the podcast notification in your newsfeed. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider rating the show and writing review if you're so inclined.